you know, every, every week we get to come and break bread together. We get to dive into the word and kind of, kind of pull it apart and do all that. Y'all know I like teaching. I like giving you definitions and insights because I, I believe that the, the biggest need that we have as Christians is to have our minds straightened out. The Bible says to, to be con- not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So when I, when you come to church uh, here, I like you to think a little bit. I like you to get in there and pull it apart and think about it because that, I believe that's a, the, the biggest need we've got is the way we think. And we, we like a lot of emotion, things like that, but we, we need to learn to think scripturally. And what I find out is that a lot of Christians don't read the Bible, much less study the Bible. And that, that's a problem. That's a problem. Because we're, we're trying to live for Christ in a world that's taking us in the wrong direction, and the influence is coming from that direction. So, so these, these concepts we're talking about in Genesis are huge. I mean, they're massive to the way we live our lives, the way we view life, our perspectives, all of that kind of thing. We're, we're going to dive right back into the Eden story. Just a, a quick review. From Genesis 1, we, we've seen that God has created the heavens and the earth. And this, this just majestic event that has happened over a six-day period. And then on the seventh day, God rested. And on, but on the sixth day, God said that he created male and female. And he created them in the image and likeness of God. So now these humans are going to come to the forefront in this Eden story they're given this exalted position over all of creation. Uh, they've been chosen to be the king slash priest, we could say it like that, uh, which kind of becomes an idea later on in the story. They become the king slash priest over all creation. They've been commissioned and empowered uh, to be fruitful and multiply, to have dominion, to, to take care of all of creation and literally represent God on the earth. And they're placed in this garden. They're to be creative with the things that God gives them. You think about that. Think about how, how creative people have been throughout the generations, all the way from, from way back when, all the way to now. Think about everything that you see in the seat you're sitting on, the, the buildings that we're in, the, the technology that we have, all that stuff. It came out of the creativity of, of, a, of a person or a group of people. And God has blessed us with so much ingenuity and creativity. And that's, that's part of us living out our creation, everything we have. I, I went to a, a um, it, it was a job I had, and I was at a factory, and they were make, making pieces of automobiles. And, and I didn't realize how automobiles were made, but do you realize that everything in your vehicle is manufactured somehow, some way, and it's, it's all probably a thousand different places, and somebody somewhere has made every component of your car? You think about that. It's amazing the, the creativity and ingenuity. That, that God has put inside of humans. Isn't that something? And then we bring it all together and it, and it works. So we're, we're told to be creative, to take things and be resourceful with them, uh, to have families. And with those families, we build homes and then we multiply and we make subdivisions, we make cities, we make... And the continuing work of God is to go on. All right. So now we're in the garden. This place in Eden called the garden. Now... Eden, we talked about this Wednesday night, just a little bit, you got to think through some of this stuff. Eden is a good place, but it's not a perfect place. That, that kind of was, was startling to me when I first started thinking about that. But, but you know, it's, it's, it's a really good place to live. It's made perfect for the humans as far as that goes, but there's still work to be done. They still have ground they have to cultivate and, and crops they have to tend to. I'm, I'm saying it's not perfect in the sense that, like, if you go to a perfect place, you just want to sit on the chair and let somebody bring bonbons to you. You know what I'm talking about? It ain't, it's not that kind of place. This is a working farm we're on, this garden. 
There's work to be done, and the humans have been given great purpose and meaning and work to do, right? So now, one of the things that we've talked about that's going to help us excel as humans is responsibility. God puts great responsibility, and to neglect or to shrug your responsibilities is, is to be less than human, right? All right, so here we go. So where was Eden, the Eden story? Where was Eden? Anybody got any guesses? Anybody been on vacation over that way? Where was Eden? We're not quite sure. You know, you read these kind of stories in the Bible and sometimes some people say, well, maybe it's just a a made up fictitious story. But then we get elements that are told in the story that give us like geographical markers and things like that. So so we don't go to the the realm of fiction with the Bible story. It, It actually is a story that took place. But where is it? Where is this place called Eden that had this garden? Where is the garden? Well, we, we don't really know. It's, it's somewhere, we believe, between the area of Turkey and Iraq, somewhere in there. You, have you heard the term, the cradle of civilization? You ever heard that term before? Yeah, they taught you this in history class, but you wasn't listening. You know what I'm talking about? <laughs> in that little place called Mesopotamia, you ever heard of Mesopotamia? Which is just simply, it, it's, it's a word that means the land between the rivers. Anybody, uh, you get free parking if you can tell me what those two rivers are. The tiger, you got free parking for the rest of the year. That'll be good. You don't worry about paying. Put don't let, he don't have to pay. Don't. The, the Tom Bigby in Alabama. That's right. That's, uh, so the, we're not sure. We're not sure because, you know, there was this thing. We're going to get to that story in a few weeks. There was this thing that happened called the Great Flood that more than likely wiped out Eden. More than likely wiped out the garden. The landscape changed. All right. All right, so let's go to the scriptures. Let's go to Genesis 2, 7 and 8. Let's start reading verse 7. We're just going to read through the story again. Just keep rereading. Remember the Bible's meditation literature. You never are one and done with the Bible. In fact, what you find out with the scriptures when you study them and start chewing on them, meditating on them, that you never quite get to the bottom of it. You ever figure that out? You never quite get the whole meaning. Verse 7. And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst or the middle of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. More on those trees later. Now a river went out of Eden to water the garden, and there it parted and became four river heads. So you see this, this river coming out, and then it just kind of splits, and it goes out into the land. And here's where it goes. This is some of our, our geographical landmarks. Most of these names we don't know about. There's a couple of them we do. The name of the river is Pishon. It is the one that skirts the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land is good. Bedellum and the oxen, onyx stone excuse me, are there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It is the one which goes around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hedekel. It is the one which goes toward the east of Assyria. Now there's a name we know. The fourth river is the Euphrates. And verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. All right, so now we see right here this primal to us humans. Primal, it's just like a primary instinct for us to take care of God's creation. You believe that? 
And it's something really refreshing if you, if you drive through town and, and drive through a neighborhood and you go by and you see somebody's property that's really taken care of. Isn't that, isn't that nice and refreshing? It just, it's just manicured. It's just, it, they, they have taken that little part of their kingdom, what they've made, and they've made it a little Eden-type paradise for them, for them and their family. It's in us to take care of God's creation on all levels. We've been called to partner with God to do that. And, you know, there's lots of talk nowadays about us taking care of the climate and taking care of the, the, the planet and all this, the climate change stuff. Let, let me just say that, not to be political about this, because this is really not dealing with politics at all. Uh, some of that thinking is a really good idea. We shouldn't pollute our rivers and streams. We shouldn't throw nuclear waste in the front yard or dig a hole and stick it somewhere. It's going to cause problems. It's going to get in the, the water system and all that kind of stuff. We, we should take care of things. But the missing element of all of the political jargon that's going today, the missing element is the partnering with God part. You see what I'm talking about? So what we've done, even, even from a government standpoint, we, we've taken God out of the equation and now we're trying to fix everything on our own. And what's happening is, is what we're trying to manipulate things on our own. We're trying to do it without God. And it's, it's the epitome of pride and it's actually a, a, a replicating of the sins found in Genesis chapter 3 again. Just trying to do it on our own. You know what I'm talking about? So should you take care of your place? You know, the, what... What's, um, Proverbs says something about it. You, you, you can go by a lazy man's house and his fence is broke and things ain't right and just stuff's not happening good, you know, that kind of deal. It's not a good thing. All right. We should take care of creation. Now, here's our picture again before we get through some new text. Here's our picture. Remember? It seems as if God is saying man is created out here in the land and then he, is, he, he takes the man and he puts him in a place called Eden. And in Eden, there's a garden. Okay, we talked about this kind of being a, a, a temple type structure that the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That it's, it's laid out like the earth to God is a sacred space. And right in the middle of this garden is where he fellowships. Remember we talked about like the outer court, the inner court, and, and then the most holy place, how that is. And then the tree being there with the Ark of the Covenant being in the, the tabernacle and the temple. All that. Now see, why is that important for me to know all that, preacher? Well, we, we've got something to respect and something to honor. We've been given a sacred trust. Maybe just a little part of it, but it's our sacred trust. All right. Verse 16, we see something's in that garden. The Lord God commanded the man saying, of every tree of the garden, you may freely eat. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. We'll talk about that next, next, next time. I believe on Wednesday night, we're going to get in chapter three. Here's some new, some new ground, some new territory. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone. I will make him a helper comparable to him. Hmm. Did anything strike you kind of different in that verse? Anything strike you? Nah, it's not good. That's, that's a little different. What's, what's everything been so far? Good. God's been saying everything's good. After every day he creates something, he said it's good. And at the end of all the creation, he looks at all, he's satisfied, and he said this is all very good. And now we see for the very first time there's a, there's a problem. See, I'm, I'm, that's what I'm telling you. Uh, he, this, this place called Eden in the garden is not a perfect place. There's still some problems that got to be solved. God's going to help solve this one. Man's going to help solve some of the other ones. 
We're going to partner with him. But this is the first time in the text, in the story right here, that something is mentioned that's not good. And what is that problem? What's the problem that, that Adam has? What's the problem? He's alone. Aloneness. It's, it's, you know, there's a difference in being by yourself and being alone. If you're by yourself, you're maybe looking for some solitude and some peace and quiet. That's good. All you mamas and daddies know about that. Give me some peace and quiet. But when aloneness starts setting in the heart, that becomes a very different thing. It takes you oftentimes to some very dark places. Maybe you can remember, maybe even before you met your spouse or something like that, maybe you can remember some of those days that you can agree that you were searching and seeking because you knew that it wasn't good for you to spend your life by yourself, right? So this aloneness, God is telling us that humans are created for companionship. We are created for fellowship. We are created for friendship. We need people to share our lives with. You know that. We need people. And life works best when it's shared with others. And God is going to solve this problem. And he has got something up his sleeve. And it is going to be something. (laughs) I think the first thing he's going to say is Shazam. (laughs) So... So, so we need spouses, we need family, we need friends to help complete us because it, it solves this problem, this, this dark problem that enters into our soul of aloneness. All right, so he's going to turn our attention in just a moment to the husband-wife relationship. But right here is in verse 19. It says, out of the ground, so we pause that idea of the helper and we come to Adam. He's doing something. It says, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the air, and brought them to Adam to see what he would call them. And whatever Adam called each living creature, that was its name. So Adam gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the air, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not a helper comparable to him. Now, it it seems now, this is interpretation, it seems like the animals are coming to him uh, in pairs. And, and it seems like Adam is, is in this alone feeling is being intensified because he sees that all these animals, they, they have each other. They have somebody. Now, is there another story where we have animals coming in pairs? Ah, that, there's an ark story about that, right? That, that's kind of where we get maybe the possibility of the idea that, that this idea, Adam is seeing these things happen. Now, what, what, what's Adam doing right here? This, this is kind of neat. Because you know what? Adam is, is looking at stuff. He, he's looking at these creatures and he's saying, that, man, that looks just like an elephant. That, that's what you are. I don't call you an elephant. That's right. Man, that's, that guy, that's a giraffe. You are a giraffe. And isn't it funny? He called them a giraffe and they just look like giraffes, don't they? <laughs> this, this boy, is, he, he shows some serious intelligence to be able to do all this. Okay. Here we see what something the scripture is, is relating to us. Things are, are really going good in the garden right now, except for this alone problem. But everything's kind of going the way it's supposed to. We see Adam operating as the image of God. What, what did it say he was doing? He, he, was, he, he was acting like the image that he is. He was acting like God. He was naming stuff. What, what do we see God doing in Genesis 1? He said, well, the, 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 the light we call that 
day and then the dark we'll call that night and God starts labeling stuff and naming stuff, right? He, he called the, 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 the dry land earth and he'll call the, the, the waters, the, the, the seas, he'll call all that. God's naming stuff. So Adam is, is really stepping into his calling right here, bringing identity and purpose and function to those around him. And that's what we do, especially as men, guys. That's one of our roles and functions is, is to begin to identify and help bring identity. That's why the role of a father is so important in the family. Is that, what, that he sets that tone. The man is to set that tone and help people figure out who they are. You see what I'm talking about? We also see him having dominion. Things... The animals, they're all coming to him. Remember we talked about man being crowned with glory. And I, I gave the little illustration about my dog. My dog can kind of see that crown. He, he just knows. He just knows. Most animals do. So for cats, I think I said that before too. <laughs> cats think they got the crown, don't they? Anybody know cats? <laughs> Another thing we see right here in the garden, man and creation are in harmony. Things are operating the way they should. Man has taken his rightful place, and by that, creation is able to flourish. Here's an interesting thing about us and creation. Creation can only find its place when mankind, that's man and womankind, mankind correctly operates in their place. There's a really, really interesting, if, if you keep this idea of Genesis 1 and 2 and, and what happens in Genesis 3, you keep that in and, and go over to Romans 8. Go to Romans 8, 28, or excuse me, 8, 8, 18 through 22. Creation, it says, is waiting on something. There's this real tight connection between man and creation, between mankind and creation. Listen to what it says. Paul says this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. Now listen to what it says. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation has been subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of God who subjected it in hope, Because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. So we see this connection between humanity and creation. And what what does it say that creation is waiting on? It's waiting on the sons and daughters of God to take their rightful place as the sons of God and act like who they really were created to be. And when that happens, creation knows that it will be liberated from its bondage. Isn't that kind of interesting to think about that? That's, that's kind of like one of them, wow, wow. And that right now, creation is actually groaning. So a lot of the storms and a lot of the crazy stuff we see are all these birth pains, these things that creation is really kind of being tortured underneath all of this sin and decay that's happening to it. And what's happening, what needs to happen is, is that we take our rightful place. Jesus is going to help us with that. All right. All right, let's go to the operating table. There's about to be an operation. Something's about to happen. It's going to change everything. Verse 21. Adam saw that 
There was no helper for it. And the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam. And he slept. Hmm. So what is happening? A deep sleep. God put him to sleep. Now, that language is used to describe how God will knock a person out in order to speak to him. He's about to have like this supernatural vision, this, this thing. It happens to Abraham later on in the story in about chapter 15, 17, somewhere in there, where God just knocks him out. So God just absolutely, what, what's the word, anesthetize? Is that a word medically? Anesthetize? That's a big, I can't spell it. <laughs> God gives him the anesthesia and knocks him out. He, he's got something very specific to communicate to Adam. And for all of humankind now. God is going to give him a vision. And Adam is going to see in a vision what his life partner is all about. What his wife is to him. And it is powerful for all of our marriages. And for all of us seeking and searching. Imagine Adam. He's having this supernatural experience. He's out. Bro is out cold. Boom. He's gone. Right? Look at what God does. The second half of 21. And God took one of his ribs and closed the flesh in its place. And then the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, he made into a woman and he brought her to the man. All right. Now you see, Adam, he's, let's just lay him out. He's laid out right here. You see him? He's having a supernatural experience. Something's happening. He's, he's envisioning what God is actually doing. He's having a vision. Now, look, look, look at my graphic right here. This is, this is some high-class artwork right here now. <laughs> here we got Adam. Okay. Now, the interesting idea of the word rib, there's no Hebrew word for rib. It's just the word side. Okay. It's, it's from, from Adam's side, we've translated in English as rib. That's fine. If you don't stay with your rib, that's fine. But literally, from Adam's side, he begins, he, he basically... Cuts Adam in half. Because and here's a bad preacher joke. God is the first one to split the Adam. That's, that's terrible, ain't it? That's terrible. I told you it's a preacher joke. That's bad. He splits Adam in half in this dream. He, Adam sees himself split in half. And then God takes the other half that he split off of him. And he begins to build another human out of it. And he begins to fashion Literally, the word made means to build or to fashion. It's another one of those hands-on projects that God does. Remember God formed Adam out of the dirt? Remember that? Out of the ground, he formed him. This is the same kind of idea that God takes time and he rolls up his sleeves and again he's going to get his hands dirty again. And he begins to build the woman. And it uses a different word because, you know, women are just built different than men. I mean, it's complicated. Hey, all you girls, it is complicated. Y'all got parts in plumbing we don't have. I mean, we, y'all, y'all just are built different. It's just a fact. And people just have to hear that kind of stuff today because we're all trying to lump everybody in the same mold. We're not the same. We're not the same, and thank God we're not the same. It's, it's by design that women are made and built and fashioned differently than men. It's by design. God takes Adam, splits him. You see what's happening here? We, we have a saying that kind of fits this. We really do. It kind of fits the Hebrew word. 
we introduce our, our, our wives to us and guys will say, this, this is my better half. Right? And that's true for all you guys, isn't it? Shake your head like say yes quick. Say yes real quick. Say yes sir. This is your better half. And we do that. And it comes straight out of this idea. Alright? So Adam is, is getting uh, uh, salvation basically. He's being delivered from this aloneness problem. And God fashions. And i tell you what. I, I wonder. Carol asked this question Wednesday night. I, I wonder what Adam looked like. What Adam and Eve looked like. I bet they were uh, just some really good looking people. What do you bet? I mean, fashioned and made by God. Hmm. God's got some things to say about this woman. He calls her Adam's helper. Okay? Now, that's a little bit... In in Hebrew, the word's a little bit different than our idea of help. You know, we've we've kind of taken the idea of help is is this idea that that she works for me. (laughs) Some, Some folks have. Now, that's kind of gotten lost in modern day. And, and, you know, times past, you know, the woman's role was to meet the guy at the door with the slippers and the robe and the, and the pipe. You know, anybody ever get that treatment? Ain't none of y'all that old, are you? But we had TV shows like that, you know, and people coming, ladies just meeting their husbands at the door. It's not that kind of idea of help. It's this Hebrew word called ezer or ezer. And it literally means this, one who comes to aid or one who brings strength. And, and the connotation of it all is, is that God has made this woman to help bring salvation and deliverance and help aid to this man. And it's not subordinate in any way. God knocks him out and shows him all this. Now here's an interesting thing. This word that we use, the word help for this Ezer word, Ezer, is, is often spoken of God. In fact, when it's used in Scripture, it's most often spoken of God. So it's not subordinate in any way. 121, verse 1 and 2. I've got it highlighted right here. It says, I will lift up my eyes to the hills. From whence comes my easer, my help. My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. So you kind of get this idea of this, this strength. I mean, if you're, if you're asking God for easer, for help, this is what you're asking. You're asking Him for strength. And what this, this, this lady is being labeled, we're going to call her Eve in a little bit. Adam's going to name her later. You're going to call her Eve. She comes as a tremendous strength and a tremendous help to Adam. So there's some sense that man is not quite complete Without his easer, without his help. Now, you may be called to singleness, and God, God may have have placed that that gift upon you. Paul talks about that, and Jesus talks about that a little bit too. But for the ninety nine percent of us, we know we need somebody, don't we? And at about the age of 11, 12, 13, 14, you start figuring that out, don't you? And all these chemical reactions start happening in your body and you fire off and you start thinking, Lord, maybe she might be the one. Easy. (laughs) Help Jesus. (laughs) Isn't that what happens? I mean, it's kind of an innate 
thing that starts happening to us. We begin to look around. We begin to think, I'm not going to be by myself all my life. I'm just going to tell you, I need some help. That's what we think about. She's going to be his helper. The strength that's brought to him to really deliver him. Now, now, now guys, think, think about this. All you married guys, think about this. Think about how your wife has literally been salvation to you. A lot of men I know would not even be saved if it wasn't for their easer. If it wasn't for their help. Now, for some other marriages, it might be just the opposite. But for most of us guys, we would not even know the right path without that helper that came and helped us. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, we say things like that. We say, that boy's wild as a You know what he needs? He needs a good woman to set him straight. Because we, we, we know that that's kind of how it works, isn't it? That's kind of how it works. All right. So this helper, the English word right here is the word comparable. This is a helper that's comparable to him. That's an interesting idea. Now think about this. It's the idea of an opposite that corresponds to something else. Now, that, that sounds crazy. You can't hardly make it. But think about this, the pieces of a puzzle. See how the pieces of a puzzle fit together? See, this has got a, a, a negative here, there's positive here, basically kind of idea. And, and where there's a void here, then there's a strength here. Where there's a weakness here, there's, there's a strength here. And you put these two together, and the two are better than one. You see what I'm talking about? That's the idea of comparable. We use the word compatible. We, we, we tell our kids, find somebody. Many, we not, may not say it like that, but the idea is find somebody that's compatible with you. Find somebody that you like. We, we may say it like this. Find somebody you connect with. Because we, we know, as folks that's been married a little while, if you find somebody who just wants certain needs met or whatever, and they don't really bring anything to the table and there's no compatibility, what is going to happen to the relationship? I mean, I'm talking about after the love is gone. You know, all them songs they write about. After the love is gone. After all that. You know, you know my daddy always said this to me. He said, I know you love her. But you can't live off love. I know you don't figure that out yet. And he said this. He said, Kroger was a grocery store we always had. He said, Kroger don't take love. <laughs> it takes a little bit more than that. So, so this, this idea of compatibility. Paul speaks directly to that when he says things to us as believers. That believers should only be joined together with other believers. Because what fellowship, what compatibility has light with darkness? You see what I'm talking about? Hmm. Now here's, here's the problem. What we can look at positively is part of the solution, that, that opposite. In fact, we say it like this. Opposites do what? Opposites attract. And a lot of times that's true. I mean, you, you meet some couples and they're different in daylight and dark. But they make it work. But here's the other side of the coin. All of that opposite type stuff where you see it one way, ladies, and you see it another way, fella. Where, where that is supposed to be a point of strength and we're to come together and have some sort of agreement and counsel together. It also becomes a source of conflict. 
You know what I'm talking about? And that opposite, oftentimes, where we're, instead of putting our heads together and coming up with a single solution, that opposite friction type thing starts happening. Instead of the heads coming together, the heads begin to butt. I know y'all don't know what I'm talking about, but y'all have people in your families had these kind of problems. <laughs> you see? But in your marriage, this is what God is telling us. The way it's designed is that, guys, you have weak points and blind spots that you don't even know about. And you need that woman God gave you. Make sure it's the one he gave you. You need that woman that God gave you to help you with your weak points. That's a good time to say amen, guys. Y'all missed it. It's gone. It's gone now. They're a little slow, ladies, aren't they? They are way slow. <laughs> ladies, you've got weak points and blind spots that you don't know anything about. <laughs> See, we just say it at the wrong time, don't we? We say stuff at the wrong time. We got a knack for that. That'd be one of our weak points. We just say the wrong thing and our timing is terrible. <laughs> you, ladies, you have weak points. That you don't know about. And that man that God sent your way. And helped to level you out. And helped, to, helped you to see things. Because see, women are just kind of wired up to see things different. And, and they're wired up a little bit more emotional than us. And that's good. Because the, all, most of us guys are DOA. You know what I'm talking about? We need some life in us. And as weakness meets strength. That unity that's bonded together when you put those pieces together is to make for a more powerful union than you could be by yourself. Now, that's the way it's supposed to work now. I'm not saying it always works that way, but this is the ideal. God is showing us the nature of this relationship. This unity is to make both of you stronger. So you get the picture. You go from one to two Back to one again. You got this one man, he's split in half. He, he, they're, they're, and the two now are called, we're going to see it in the last verse, the next to last verse. The two are now called to do what? To unify and become one. All right. That's not an easy task, is it? One, one preacher said this. He said, you know what? They, they make all these vows at the wedding ceremony. And, and they, they promise that the two will become one. And then they go home and try to figure out which one. Mm-hmm. So now, as we see this, what is God communicating to us? What is God saying to us? Now listen to me. Guys, especially, you listen up. You guys watching on Facebook, listen up. That that lady of yours is fashioned by God, built by God. So honor her. She is a gift from God. So cherish her. You hear what I'm talking about? She is the answer to your aloneness. I mean, I mean, even if y'all can't get along. You know, it'd be terrible to have to fight with yourself. 
I mean, we sometimes even need somebody just to grapple with. We just, I got to, we just got to have somebody to fuck. I mean, you wake up on the wrong side of the bed and you, it'd just be terrible if you woke up in a bad mood and didn't have nobody to fuss at. Wouldn't that be a terrible way to live? There is even some benefit to having somebody to fuss with if that's all you do. Uh, anyway, well, the altars will be open a little bit later. Right. She's the answer to that aloneness. So be grateful. And she's a part of you. So love her. Love her the way you would love yourself. So ladies, this man, I don't have you know, I don't have notes on the on, on this guy's. Listen. <laughs> that that man you got, he was formed and shaped by God. God's put a lot of time and effort. He's put his hands on that guy and he's had to straighten him out a lot. So honor him. Honor him. He's a gift of God to you. So cherish him. Treat him like a gift. Now what, what if we did that? What if, what, if, what if your marriage became this idea that you, lady, are going to honor him. He is going to honor you. You're going to care for him. He's going to care for you. You're going to cherish him. He's going to cherish you. And boom! What kind of marriage do you have? What kind, what kind of family do you have? What kind of relationship do you have? Paul was getting at this idea in Ephesians 5.28. It says this. Husbands ought to love their own wives as their own bodies because he who loves his wife loves himself. Remember that that split thing? He's getting at that. So now, the woman was taken from the side. You tell me. If God is communicating something to us here, what, what, what does the woman taken from the side, what does that communicate as far as like what this relationship, how it's going to behave or, or be? How's it going to be? What does it, what does it mean? What do you think this means? Equal part? Together? By? Stand by your man. Lord have mercy. Something like that. <laughs> it's this side by side. So, so if, you're, if you're walking through life together, how do you best walk with somebody? Are you dragging them down? Are you running on ahead with them? What's, what's the best way to take a walk? That's, that's the way the Bible talks about life. It's like a walk. What's the best way to take a walk with somebody? Side by side. What's the best way to live your life with your spouse? Side by side. It's a side by side relationship. Now notice this. It's not from the head. He didn't, he didn't take something from the head because the woman is not to lord over the man. Neither did he take it from the foot of the man because the man is not to lord over the woman. Instead, he took her from his side because the relationship is one of togetherness. It is to solve the major problem of loneliness and you are to walk with your spouse side by side. Equal in importance, different in function. See what I'm talking about? This will help you. So Adam wakes up evidently. 
You know, actually, the Bible doesn't ever say he really woke up. <laughs> so most of us fellas, we got an excuse right there. We just never really woke up. <laughs> it was a deep sleep. Adam awakes. Adam said, this is now bone of my bone. This, y'all get this poetry now. This is a Hallmark card stuff right here now. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. (laughs) Here's my translation of that. He wakes up, sees her built just right. And he says, whoa, man, (laughs) that is it. Thank you, God. You know what I'm talking about? (laughs) I ain't lying. (laughs) And Adam said, I I like it. Thank you, God. That's a way, that's an ancient way the Bible would say, thank you, God. She belongs to me. She came from me. I'm going to take care of her. And now the commentator who's writing Genesis, he, he speaks out. He comes out of the story. He tells us something. He tells us something about life, the way life's going to be in the future. He said, because of this, in verse 24, because of this, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Now think about this, because this, this is so strong. This, this draw to have that other come into your life is so strong that it, 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 it causes you to leave those bonds of father and motherhood. We, we call it like, we say it like this, get the idea. Leave and cleave. It's the idea of cutting the apron strings. You ever heard that, that expression? You ever met somebody who didn't quite cut the apron strings? What usually happens to the marriage? It, it suffers pretty bad, doesn't it? So there's this idea that we are to leave this relationship. Now, we don't have to disregard it, and we've still got to honor our fathers and mothers. But we leave this relationship because we have to cleave to this relationship, right? And I say it like this. If you don't leave right, you can't cleave right. If you don't know what leave and cleave are, that's, in, that's the old King James. That's what the old King James says. And he's going to be joined. And they, see, there's that one again. That they shall become one. The unity and diversity. All right. And the last. The last verse. And they were both naked. The man and his wife. And were not ashamed. Hmm. He's not talking about sensual right there. Here's what he says right here. This marriage was open. This marriage was honest. They were vulnerable to each other. They had an open heart policy to each other. They didn't have anything hidden. They didn't have nothing to hide from God or from each other. That they literally were living without shame and guilt. It's telling us the the way that this bond can happen the best is that if we learn to live open and honest with each other. Nothing to shame. No guilt. A clean union where two open hearts 
get synchronized and begin to beat together. And here we see Adam and Eve living in a state of wholeness before God. You want to know how to kill a relationship? Well, just reverse that. Be shady. Hide stuff. Try to cover stuff up. Lie. Cheat. Do stuff in the shadows that you know are wrong. Do stuff maybe even when nobody's looking that you know are not right, but, but somehow or another that begins to feel guilt and shame in our hearts and we know we're not quite right and you, it begins to affect this relationship. Do stuff that causes you to hide from each other. And this will lead to disaster. See what I'm talking about? This, this is how I'm going to want to end this. If, if you're here with your spouse, can you just kind of reach, reach across and just grab hands? And I want to just pray a blessing over you. This is a real struggle to get to this oneness, isn't it? That God's talking about. If, if you're single, this is what I want you to do. I want you to, to, to be mindful of God to lead you in the right direction to find that easer. Because men need it and women need it too. Can you do that? If you're here and your spouse is not here, uh, just can you be mindful of them right now and, and just pray for them? And we'll include them in the blessing as well. Can, can we pray? Hi, Father, we got a got a lot laid before us in Genesis 2. And you know, with all of the things they had going on in the garden, it was, it was a good place. It was a lot better place than the place we're living in nowadays. So, you know, our struggles are going to be a little bit more intensified, it seems. We've got lots of things and lots of character issues, lots of things that fight against us in our marriages. Jesus, we need you to heal us. We need you to wash us clean from our past sins. May have just been today, may have been yesterday, may have been recent, may have been years ago. I pray for husbands and wives and single folks, Lord, that you would just help them find a place of cleansing to wash them clean. Because this bond can only be right when it's done clean. So, Lord, I I pray that you would bring security to our relationships. Lord, I I pray that you would help settle hearts in husbands and wives. Settle their hearts, Lord. Help them. Help them. Bless them. Give them the kind of security where they can be, just what the wording said, they can just be open and just strip down to who they are in front of their spouse. Help them, Lord. Bless them with that kind of peace and that kind of security. And Lord, remove the guilt and the shame. That's a miracle. Only you can do that. Remove the guilt and the shame and help us to live lives unashamed. Lord, for all the young folks and all the single folks that are here, Lord, I pray that they wouldn't settle they would wait on the mate that you have for them. They would wait. They would seek you. They would draw close to you. 
and they would wait on that person that you've got that is going to be their helper. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, when it's all said and done, I pray, pray that you would help us to be able to say at the end of our lives that we lived in your plan and your purpose and we fulfilled it and it was good. Thank you, Lord. I bless your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.